Welcome to Divorce Stories with attorney Dennis Vetrano, the show for people that want real answers to real divorce questions from a real divorce lawyer. And now here's your host, attorney Dennis Vetrano. Welcome back to Divorce Stories. I'm your host, divorce attorney Dennis Vetrano, and I will tell you this is such a hot topic right now. How do you co-parent with a narcissist? Oh, my God, what a great issue we have for today. And we have an amazing expert to help us navigate that and talk about it. Matthew Pfeiffer, who's an MSED, is a therapist, speaker, trainer and toxic relationship, narcissism, trauma and emotional abuse expert. He's the founder and owner of Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. His trainings, which feature original work, has been presented in multiple states and countries, and he is regularly featured on the radio, publications, and online. Matthew's videos attract millions of viewers, including me, and his podcasts have been heard in a hundred different countries. And Matthew, similar to me, also has two children of his own, which is an interesting uh, background as well. He resides in Dallas, Texas. Ooh, cowboy fan, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nearly 20 years in New York and Washington, D.C. So let's start off with this. Welcome, 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 Matthew. Really good to have you here. Um, what made you want to get into this line of work? We're just going to get right into it. Yeah, you know, um, I kind of backed into it. I, I think I, I actually, um, you know, when I first got out of school, I got into uh, addictions and um there's a lot of parallels between people who are struggling with an addiction and people who are in toxic relationships. And uh, when I left the addictions world, I got into just your traditional dating coach and that sort of thing. And uh, I was invited to a couple of different podcasts that wanted to talk specifically about toxic relationships. And those videos went viral. And uh, I was like, you know what, let me, see. obviously this is information that, that people could use that people need. Um, I had experienced you know, a toxic relationship of, of my own. And so I was like, let me, let me see where this road leads. And, you know, here we are several years later and, uh, and it, it's been something that has really been transformational for not only for myself, but for everyone else that's been involved too. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I want to start off by apologizing for waiting so long to get you on. I know you reached out to me on TikTok a long time ago, and then I got turned on to your uh, videos on TikTok about narcissism and stuff like that. Oh, my God, they are so good. And I will oh, tell you, you, admittedly, I love the advice that's not this theoretical sort of garbage, because that's mm -hmm. not really digestible by the average person, even by me, somebody who's in the area of law, divorce law and contentious right. family lit court litigation. It, it's not easy for me to digest that. I want you to give me something tangible, something I can put my finger on. And you're so good at doing that. That's one of the um, things I really try to do is I try to make it very practical things that you can use every day. Um, you yeah. know, something that you can watch a video and you're like, I can implement this right here, right now. OK, so I'm going to go. I have a hard, I have a very open ended, hard question for you to try to <laughs> boil down for us to something bite sized. What is a narcissist? You know, a narcissist, uh, one of my, um, to kind of keep it as simple as I, as I possibly can, because I can get into all of the nuance and all of the psychology, you know, but, um, and it's, it's common knowledge that people know that narcissists make everything all about themselves, but it's more about the way they do it. And when we talk about using techniques, I call it the fog technique. I didn't come up with that term, but um, the fog technique, uh, fear, obligation, and guilt to try to and to try to get you engaged and wrapped into this big game that's that's being played. And one of the best ways that I can describe uh, a narcissist is actually comes from uh, a story that we all probably read growing up from Aesop's fables. 
uh, there was a lion uh, who I forgot if in the in the actual story if he was sick or if he were too old, but let's just say that he was sick uh, or he, he was faking like he was sick and he would sit back in a cave. And what he would do is instead of going out to hunt the way that a lion should and actually being responsible for his own things, he would wait for uh, an animal to walk by and he would say, you know, oh, my goodness, I'm so sick. Come in here. Take care of me. I'm, I'm hurting. And then the animals would go in and he would devour them. Well, one day a fox would walk, walk by and the lion did the same thing and said, I'm so sick. Come in here. Take care of me. I, I can't live without you. I need you. I need you to, to take care of everything for me. And the fox looked down at the tracks and he said, I noticed that all the tracks are all headed towards you, but there's nothing that's headed back out towards the cave. I'm not going in there. And that describes a narcissist to a T is that you start to notice that you're in a relationship, that everything is all headed into that direction. All of the finances, the children, the where you go on vacation, um, control over your emotions, uh, when and how often you're going to have sex, when and how often you talk to your friends and your family, everything is dictated by this person. And if you give any sort of resistance and any sort of pushback, you notice that this person uh, throws tantrums. You, you may encounter physical abuse, emotional abuse, you know, some sort of retaliation as a result of, of even some of the more simple pushback to or boundaries that you might set with this person. Now, I got to tell you, I'm seeing as I'm listening to this parallels to power and control wheel in a domestic violence relationship. So how do mm -hmm. you distinguish one from the next? Because as soon as you tell me something like control this, control that, that's the first thing that pops into my head as a divorce lawyer, a divorce family court lawyer. Oftentimes, um, uh, when we talk about the power and control wheel, we're really talking about uh, narcissism because narcissists are uh, that that's them to a T they are controlling. They are oftentimes the misconception about narcissists is that they're just someone that's very vain and very self self-centered. There's some elements of that, but really what it can, the reason why narcissists are problematic is because of the domestic violence and because of the control, because of the power that they exert over you once, you know, uh, uh, and that's what, what draws people in is that charisma is that, is them being um, a little bit more vain and things of that nature. And it sucks you in early and the relationship early and often goes very, very quickly where all of a sudden, before you know it, you're moved in within a couple of months, you're having kids, you have mortgages, and that's where it becomes very problematic. And that's where that power and control reel comes in is that now all of a sudden you're sharing um, mortgages and you, you, a lot of people may have quit a job or have, have stopped a career and you don't even realize that you're going right into that cave. Like we were just talking about. And now this person has complete power, complete control over you and is able to dictate things because you don't have access to, to, uh, to life as you know it. Yeah. And you know what I'm seeing that, I mean, anytime you tell me power and control like that, I see that as a form of abuse too. Right. Um, how important do you think it is for people to actually put their finger on these behaviors and say, hey, that's narcissistic behavior? Uh, so it's important to understand the behavior. It's not as important to understand narcissism because there's a lot of yep. um, there's a lot of nuance there. There's you know, when we talk about narcissism, it's on uh, it's on a spectrum. It's called the cluster B spectrum. There's a lot of other reasons why people might behave that way. You know, there's you know, someone could be a sociopath, someone could have histrionic disorder, someone, it could be uh, unhealed trauma. And none of those things really matter if someone is 
abusing you in those sorts of ways. So oftentimes people will spend far too much time trying to diagnose, trying to figure out what the actual issue is. When in reality, if this person is engaging this type of behavior, it doesn't matter, not even a little bit. Right. And see, that's the thing for me. Like I always tell clients, you'll have clients come in and say, or prospective clients will say, well, this person's a narcissist. You need to prove it to the judge. They need to know. I'm like, you don't understand. The label is not as important as it is recognizing the behaviors. Right. And then you can talk about the impact of those behaviors and what do we do to ameliorate those. And to take that one step further and what where a lot of people get frustrated is that when we talk about narcissism, even if you did prove that this person was a narcissist and you actually had them diagnosed, the where, where the problem comes in is that we have to remember that narcissism really actually is a disorder. It really actually is a mental mental illness. And, right. and what happens is that when people do prove it, that person still has rights despite their dis- yep. their diagnosis. And so it's very easy for that person to say, well, oh, well, I'm a narcissist. Okay, cool. I'll just go to, I'll just start going to therapy. And now you're really screwed. And we're, really what you really want to do is you want to prove the, the behavior and things that they've done, you know, through the course of the marriage or the relationship or custody modification, whatever situation you're going through. Right. And I will tell you from personal experience, once you walk into that judge and say, hey, narcissist, hey, mm-hmm. this diagnosis, that diagnosis, I can see the judge's eyes glazing over. Yeah. Whereas if you said, hey, control, you know, telling me what I can do, you know, the way they treat the children. Now, that's compelling yeah. that even a narcissist will call you a narcissist and will say we'll use those yeah. labels. And so we have to be very, very careful. Uh, there's a meme uh, Spider-Man meme. I think pretty much everyone has seen it where you have two identical Spider-Mans that are pointing at each other. And that's what it's like going into court claiming that someone is a narcissist is that they're going to do the exact same thing. And so it's important for you to have the evidence to support the behavior that you're talking about. Right. So I have a question for you. Is narcissism treatable? So that's a tricky question. So the, the answer to that is, yes, there are things that are that can treat narcissism. The problem is that narcissists don't accept treatment. It, so it's uh, so you'll see that, um, you know, if you look up, you know, treatment for narcissism, you'll find treatment. You know, it's kind of like going to a doctor and a doctor asking if a doctor has medication to treat certain illnesses. Yes, they do have that, but it's a, it's a whole nother story. Are you going to take the medication? Yeah. That's the issue is that narcissists don't take the medication. They don't accept therapy. And oftentimes they will u- utilize it as a way to manipulate and triangulate the therapist to make you make it seem like you're the problem in the relationship anyway. Yeah. And it's funny because I do a lot of pieces on relationships, you know, trying to preserve marriages, when to get out, when not. And I will tell you so many things uh, in my experience are workable if you're mm-hmm. willing to do the work. Right. Like you can't do the work for the person. So like substance abuse or like mental health counseling, you can't do it for them. They need to do it. But if they're willing to do it and engage, you can assist them. You can be part of that process. But that's the big thing. Are you going to do it? And, and, and the problem. So when we talk about narcissism and we talk about the work that people do, the problem is, is that narcissism at its core is a very, very deep, deep, deep rooted insecurities, unhealed trauma and that sort of thing. And anyone that's done any sort of healing or any type of work, we actually have to acknowledge and, and we have to bring all of those insecurities and unhealed trauma up to the surface and they won't do that. That's that's a large part of the problem. And even if they do, oftentimes they use it as a way to weaponize and use it as a as a. Uh, as a ploy that, you know, I'm now I'm the victim. And and so now everyone needs to cater to me going back to that analogy of the lion in the cave again. 
Right. Oh, I love that analogy, by the way. That's no, a great analogy. You. So you have a number of courses that people can sign up for on your website, such as understanding gaslighting, how to deal with a smear campaign, how to break the trauma bond. But according to what we're doing today and the, and the central issue here today, I want to talk about the one that falls closest to our course, how to co-parent with a narcissist. Now, wow, yeah. that's a can of worms. But let's start off. It says your description says parent parenting is hard work. Co-parenting can be an even more daunting. And if you're co-parenting with a narcissist, and I've seen this happen, I've looked in looking in from the outside as the lawyer, it may well feel nearly impossible to co-parent with a narcissist. And again, I have a lot of pieces online, people saying, hey, you can't co-parent with a narcissist. It's impossible. But sometimes you have no choice because right. you're not going to give up your kids, right? Nope. So what makes co-parenting with a narcissist so difficult? Going back to what you were talking about in terms of the power and control wheel and, and narcissist, that's ultimately what they want. And the problem is, is that they will present as in a way that that they'll say things, they'll say all the right things, you know, let's do this for the kids. Let's just be cordial for the kids. Um, but ultimately what they want is control and they want, uh, they want control access and they also want attention. The problem is, is that by any means, even if that is at the detriment of the kids, if that's at the detriment of you, and even oftentimes, even if that's at the detriment of themselves, they will still go to the, to those extents. So you might have situations where they may not drop the kids off on time. They may do a little bit more passive aggressive digs and, and try to tell the kids that you're the reason for the divorce, that you slept with people and that you, uh, whether it be true or not, they're just bringing out, bringing out topics that the kids uh, that are inappropriate for the kids to hear and to talk about. They'll try to manipulate the kids. They'll try to manipulate um, the school system and other people to try to paint you in a bad light. Uh, the other thing is that um, that they could use uh, legal tactics and taking you back to court. Um, I've seen people calling CPS. And uh, so there's all sorts of type of things that they'll do to try to create chaos. And that's where a lot of people get narcissism confused is that they want the drama. They want the chaos. Yeah. And oftentimes people don't understand that they're actually feeding into the drama and the chaos because they might call the narcissist and ask them to stop or, you know, why are you doing this to me? Not realizing that this is exactly what they want is to, is to see and to, to see this destruction and to enjoy the chaos and chaos behind what they're doing. You know what? And I always wonder what motivates the narcissist, because in the cases that I've seen, my conclusion is it's not about winning in court. It's not about getting over. It's not about getting a better situation or getting more money or or even any level of self-satisfaction per se. Mm -hmm. So what's the real motivation? What is their real goal? Well, it, it, they want to be a wedge in between you, you and happiness, you success and you having good, good, healthy relationships. And there is a satisfaction that they get by you being at your detriment. The problem is so um, to kind of bring it all full circle. Uh, narcissists and people who have unhealed trauma have a scarcity mindset. So what happens is that when they see you happy, when they see you successful, when they see you in a good relationship, they literally think that you took that away from them. 
And so what happens, or if they see you having a good relationship with the kids, they feel like you took that away from them. So they want to make sure that they are a wedge between you and those things. And so the problem is that even if they're successful with that, that's very short lived. They might, it might be satisfaction for a moment for a period of time. But the problem is that now we have to continuously do this to, to try to, to try to gain that satisfaction. That's what's called narcissistic supply. And so that's the reason why you start to see them continuously do this over and over and over again. And the, and what, and so that's the reason why it's so important to understand the game that they're playing and, and understand what's actually happening. So then you can do things to try to minimize the amount of engagement that you have with them to, to not play that game. Yeah. Because, you know, every time I see these situations, it's like, because my advice is always, you know, hey, you got to find a point where you stand your ground because yeah. I feel like my experience with narcissists is it's never enough. Mm-hmm. So so uh, so it's leave, leaving me kind of confused of like, oh, OK, well, you got your your extra two days of visitation. Well, yeah. now it's something new. Mm-hmm. You decreased your child support another two hundred dollars. But now it's something new and another thing and another yeah. thing. And once the first conflict is resolved, the the next conflict shortly follows thereafter Mm -hmm. so it's like almost like an uh, you know an unsatisfiable sort of urge to get something and the only thing i could ever put my finger on was more conflict yep absolutely it's more conflict and that's the reason why one of the things i tell people is that we have to minimize we have to lower our expectation of who that narcissist is we oftentimes we go back and forth and we're waiting for them to to actually be cordial the way they keep saying that they are but they're not going to and when we be, begin to have reasonable expectations for who this actually, who this person actually is, we can actually begin to, you know, set up and, and, and to get into more par- parallel parenting instead of co-parenting in a way that we can actually have a good, healthy life with our kids without having that destructive narcissist. That's they're going to try, they'll, they'll, but it'll minimize the amount of of things that they're they're trying to do against you. Yeah. Parallel parenting is certainly one of the things that we've tried to explore in our situations. And, right. and again, I you know, it's funny because the first I was first exposed to that phrase probably about a year and a half ago. And yet I'd been crafting orders that are essentially that for decades. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of seeing that you're just never going to get along. It's just never going to be a great right. workable situation, but you still can live and raise your kids well. Right. If you know what you need to do and yeah. how to address it. Absolutely. So part of this course covers how to set appropriate boundaries with the narcissistic co-parent while simultaneously remaining in compliance with court orders. What type of boundaries do you think they need to set when they're co-parenting with a narcissist? Number one, by far and away, you have to know your rights. You have to know your rights as a parent. And when you know your rights as a parent, that also means that, guess what? Unfortunately, we have to acknowledge that they have rights too. And so what happens is that when we understand our rights, and that's when I'm working with people in one-on-ones, we go through that, you know, for we hammer that home because that's the very base foundation. So you have the right to, you know, uh, something that a narcissist might do that um, might drive you up a wall. Um, They, you know, you might agree to sign them up for, mutually agree to sign them up for uh, an extracurricular activity, but then all of a sudden they don't pay for their their side of it or they don't take them on their week. They don't have to. Right. They don't have to take them on their week. They don't have to show up to practice. And oftentimes these are the, the small things that people are going to court over 
and they're and they're hammering home or they're calling the narcissist there these things are going to actually enable them to not do this even more because they know yeah. that it bothers you yeah. and so when we begin to let that go because we understand that they have a right to do that and you and on the flip side they they might you know i can't believe you're taking them to practice when they have homework to do and this and that and when we when we still think that we uh, that we still need to engage in that type of behavior and try to appease them and that sort of thing, because we want to co-parent with them. Um, and we understand that we have a right to take them or we have a right to, to take them or to not take them to church. That's another, another common issue. Um, and some of these phone calls or some of these, uh, text messages, you know, when they start, you know, you, you must be sleeping with somebody else because, and they start to make it, you know, things that are not about the kids. We don't have to respond to those type of messages, you know, understanding our rights of, of uh, you know, and, and those are the type of boundaries that we can begin to set when we understand our rights that we, we don't have to talk to them about who we're sleeping with or who we're talking to or what time the kids went to bed or, or any of those type of things when they're still trying to control even after the relationship is over. And so understanding our rights, first and foremost, lowering our expectations and then knowing what we need to respond to. But even when we do need to respond, slowing down that process. Oftentimes what happens with the narcissist is that they create a sense of urgency. And when you've had, when you've been in a situation where you've been in an abusive situation for a long period of time, you're trying to respond in a way to appease them. You're not going to, it's not going to happen. And, right. and what they're doing is they're sucking you back into that, that, that power and control situation. And what happens is that when we delay that response, that anxiety that we have starts to alleviate that person starts to realize, yeah, they're going to get ticked off and they're going to say, I can't believe you haven't, you know, you didn't respond within five minutes, but yep. if you know your rights, you don't have to take your time, respond, you know, in an appropriate time within a couple of hours or whatever the case is, allow for yourself to get back to your, your own personal baseline. And what happens is that over a period of time, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, oftentimes it gets worse before it gets better. But over yeah. time, that person starts to realize that I don't have control here. I can't tell this person what to do. I can't make them text me within two minutes the way that the way that I, I did when we were together. And also you start to realize that too. And then all of a sudden, this these are the type of things that that um start to you start to build the foundational blocks of taking your life back. The other things I tell people is um, stop sharing. When I say stop sharing holidays, we're not spending time as a family on holidays anymore. These are, these are some of the other things that narcissists will right. try to convince you of. Oh, let's, let's just get together for the kids. Um, it doesn't work. It didn't work when you were together. It's not yeah. going to work now, you know? And so um, beginning to set boundaries in terms of making sure that you celebrate on your own appropriate time. Um, knowing that they're going to do things to try to, uh, to try to ruin the holiday or try to ruin the birthday. One of the things I tell people is, uh, you know, be okay with celebrating their birthday the day before, sometimes even the week before, yeah. if you can't even, you know, uh, the kids don't care, you know, and you're still creating the memories in 10 years from now, they're not going to remember that you celebrated Thanksgiving on the 20th instead of the 27th. They're going to remember right. that they had a good time. And so thinking and thinking outside of the box and being creative with those type of things really goes a long way. Yeah. What do you think are the tough, toughest boundaries to set? And I can think off the top of my head, which is which is the toughest boundary. But what do you think? Toughest boundaries to set. Um, I think it's it's different for every situation, but um, 
I would, I would definitely say things that are, that are pertaining to the kids, um, what you're doing with the kids, um, you know, those sorts of things, because it guilts you into thinking that you're not a very good parent. That's where, that's where a lot of times people, um, people have a, have a hard time is that when they start to guilt you that you're not a good mother, not a good father because of something that you did or didn't do where you're going on vacation who you're bringing around the kids, those sorts of things, when they're using the kids as a weapon, that I would say, I would definitely say that's probably the most difficult. Yeah. And I think those are a tough one because my experience with the people who've been through the divorce process, there's a lot of guilt there for people. Yeah, They feel like, especially when there's kids involved, they feel like they've let the kids down. How could they let this fail? I should have done better. And then the dagger is to like have the other parents say, well, you're not being a good parent. You're not doing the right thing. And I think for me, my experience with the toughest boundary to set is with those text messages, with those emails, with those phone calls, Mm -hmm. because they're going to say, ah, you're a, you're a whore. You're hoeing around with this one. You're a terrible mom. The kids hate you, blah, blah, blah. You need to respond to me in five minutes. If I don't get a response in five minutes, I'm going to court. I'm calling the police. And you're like stressed, Mm -hmm. angry, frustrated and you want to just text back right away. I, I got to make sure my lawyer said respond right yep. away. Don't. But I love your advice. Slow it down. Yep. Slow it down, man. Know what your rights are and slow yep. it down. You do not need to be controlled and dictated by this person. But that's no. a tough boundary to set. It is a very difficult boundary to set. And, and because the reason why it's so difficult is because those are the things that work for them throughout the relationship. And right. it creates that sense of urgency. And when you have that sense of urgency uh, and, and that, you know, your adrenaline's going and your thought process is to appease them because that's what you thought would help in the relationship and it doesn't work. Right. Right. So do you have any tips for setting those boundaries? I mean, how do you, how do you just out of the gate, just start setting the boundaries that, that probably you haven't set ever and stick to them? First and foremost, by far and away, you need to go and you need to get an order in court. The reason why is because going back to what we said in the beginning, without an order in court and without it, I can't tell you how many times people try to do this willy nilly thing outside of court. And I get it. There's people that you know that have been able to do it without a court order, but we have to understand that that is not you. I applaud people who are able to do that. But if you have gone through a relationship that, you know, that was controlling through the relationship, that person is not going to let go of that control after the relationship is over. So first and foremost, we have to get a, a court order to protect you because there's nothing stopping people if you without that order from leaving the state with your child, leaving the country with your child. They still have remember, remembering that they still have rights. They could just right. not return them. And so when we... We have, if we're going to set boundaries, we have to understand that boundaries are enforceable. And so we need to make sure that, that, that everyone has uh, rules of engagement that are outlined that in the event that this person decides not to return, not to return at all, or on the flip side uh, to take the kids or whatever, that you have something that on paper to be able to enforce. Um, If they try to accuse you of, parental alienation that you're not, you know, because you're not picking up your phone, because we have to realize that when you not, if, but when you do something that they don't like, and that could just be a perception that they could think that you're screwing around, even though you may not be. And then all of a sudden they start to engage in this bad behavior. We need something that's going to be able to enforce. Yep. And I think you raise a really good point. Remember, if you have no court order folks, 
two biological parents have what we call in New York State de facto custody. What does that mean? If you're each a biological parent, barring anything else, you each have an equal right to have that child or those children with you. So that narcissist who's doing all of these things, the controlling behavior, the, the, the toxicity, you know, the what we call abuse, they have an equal right to the children as you do without a court order. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I that's that's a really good piece of advice. And it's funny. I, I think that we don't talk about that enough as divorce and family yeah. law attorneys that that if you don't have an order, you have de facto, which means you yeah. each have equal rights. And then it becomes very problematic because if they do engage that behavior before things happen, like there's nothing there's nothing they can do. I mean, you can right. correct you can correct it and get back to, you know, get something on paper 50 50, but you can't hold them accountable for anything. Right. That's 100 percent right. Yeah, 100 percent right. What are some of the tactics, some of the things you see narcissists doing in these contentious family court cases to maneuver and manipulate and control? Uh, definitely trying to, um, there's a couple of different things. So they'll try to stretch out the, the case. They will try to, de- try to delay. Um, they won't sign papers. They won't, uh, they won't respond. They won't get back um, in time. That's, that's something that's very common. Um, they will... Um, agree to things, and then at the last minute, um, completely disagree. Uh, oftentimes, what what will happen is um, they'll they'll agree to something, and then like um, the night before a court date or the night before they actually sign, they might do something like ask you out on a date, ask to sleep with you, or something. And then when you disagree, that's when all of a sudden they'll rip the rug out from underneath you. Uh, the other thing that that they do. And uh, I, I try to, they'll actually agree to the divorce. They'll agree to sign and sign everything. But what I tell people is that we have to be very careful of signing off on things that they still have some element of power or some element of control. You know what? You can keep, uh, you can keep your name in my, keep your name on my insurance. You know, there's, you know, let's, uh, let's keep both, both of our names on the house and keep both of our names on the mortgage, just in case if anything ever happens that way we're we're protecting the kids or you can keep your name on on my, your, keep your, your phone to my phone plan. And we don't even realize that what we're doing is we're still handing that, that power and control right back to that person. One of the things I tell people is that we have to make sure that every single tie outside of the child is cut. Um, all of the businesses, all we have to, we need to make sure that those lines are drawn in the in the sand very, very clearly. Yep. And I will tell you that is the advice to the letter that I give all of my clients, especially in divorce cases. And I can't tell you how many say, "Well, we're just going to keep our names on the mortgage together, or we're just going to hang on to the house a little bit longer, and don't worry about switching the titles on this and that." I said, "My job as your divorce lawyer is to get you the cleanest possible break." Yeah. Do you want to know why? Because you're moving on, and I don't need anything dangling for you. Yeah. Any problems that could that could arise later on by yeah. the dangling things that you left behind. Um, Here, here's what here's what I tell people about that because people are like, well, they're saying all the right things, and you know, and oftentimes going back to you know the the victim oftentimes still wants to appease. And I tell people that the true test of any relationship is not when things are good, when the person is happy, it's actually when there's a disagreement. And I'll ask that person, you know, let's say they're married for 10 years, of the last 10 years. I want you to name one time that you got, you had a disagreement that this person was able to meet and compromise with you on, in the middle of anything. And every single time, without a doubt, the answer is never. 
It didn't matter if it was something as minor as lunch or as minor or as something as serious about where you're going to live, where the kids are going to go to school. And I asked them, well, how did they behave whenever there was a disagreement and tantrums, domestic violence, you know, arguing, passive aggressive behavior, all those type of all those type of things. And then when what we have to understand is that the divorce and the things and splitting the assets and all that kind of stuff is the biggest disagreement that you're going to have with this person. And so we have to understand that the behavior that you saw over the last 10 years that led up to the divorce didn't change. And so we need to make sure that all these things are are clean cut. So then you're able to live uh, a productive, healthy life after the fact. Right. Right. So how do you avoid a falling into their traps? Obviously, they're trying to suck in. They do these things they are trying to suck you in. How do you avoid it? How do you say, no, I'm not. I'm tapping out. Uh, oftentimes people think that, you know, I, I get the, I get all sorts of questions about, you know, what, what type of questions do you need to ask on the first date and this and that, and what type of, you know, how do you find and how do you spot a narcissist and the way that you spot a narcissist very easily, hundred percent of the time is not by asking them questions. It's not about what you, what you're doing for them. It's actually all about you. It's more about understanding your boundaries. They're looking, narcissists want nothing to do with someone who is able to set firm boundaries and, and, and those sorts of things. They're looking for people who have things going for them and have an inability to set boundaries. A lot of times people will say, well, I set boundaries with people. But what happens is that if you don't, if you're not able to to execute on that boundary and able to actually walk away from a person. People, people who, who have been in this situation, I challenge people. I want you to think back to the beginning of the relationship that you were with the narcissist. And I want you to think about the very first time that something happened and something internally said, you need to walk away from this. Something's off here. And oftentimes people, they denied it at the time because they didn't want to ruin this great relationship because you thought this person was your soulmate and that sort of thing. But when we begin to think back at those times, when we, we actually saw the behavior, we, we found out, you know, three months in that they were actually still married when they told you that they were divorced. We saw yeah. uh, the, the road rage or, you know, or something said like, hey, warning, warning, warning. Right. And we're not talking about some minor, minor red flags because everyone has red flags. We're talking about some major stuff. And we need to actually start to validate ourselves and being okay with walking away from those type of yeah. relationships. And uh, so the, the way that we, be, we spot narcissists is by setting, setting and enforcing boundaries. And what happens is that narcissists don't, I don't care what type of narcissist that they are, what, if they're on the cluster B spectrum anywhere or someone that has unhealed trauma, they don't like being told the word no. They don't like, right. they, they want a boundaryless relationship because that means that they can come and go, they can do whatever they want. They can push you over, they can bowl over you, you know, that, that sort of thing. And so when you begin to set and enforce boundaries early and often, oftentimes they will be the ones to walk away from you. And so we also, we also have to be okay with being rejected. One of the things I tell people is that rejection is your protection. If someone walks away from you, and because you set and you're you're setting and you're enforcing boundaries, you're you're slowing the, the relationship down. Which an, another thing that just drives them up a wall, um, because they want to move quickly, they want to move in fast, they want to right. get married fast, they want to have kids fast. When you slow that process down, you will you'll you'll be able to see it very quickly. And if they walk away, they're doing you the biggest favor of your yep. life. Absolutely. So you may think it's a loss, but it's really not. Right. So another great piece in your course is how to protect children from manipulative tactics. Mm-hmm. What tactics are you seeing the other parents 
ex-spouse trying to use on these kids. And this and this to me is just so disgusting because like um, so I'm a soccer coach, mm-hmm. two soccer teams, two kids of my own law guardian for years, like to do something that impacts kids without regard for their mental, emotional, just just like. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. So so tell me what you're seeing. So what I'm saying is that um, that people will say things to the kids, you know, the reason, you know, that you're you're other parent is the reason for the divorce. They are out there sleeping with the neighbors. They are, you know, they're drunk. They're this, they're that, um, you know, they don't ever take you to church or they do take you to church. They're forcing, you know, they're, and just trying to, trying to take away your credibility as a parent, you know, uh, and trying to make you responsible for those type of, those type of dynamics. You know, your parent was abusive towards me. That's the reason why we divorced, you know, anything to try to, take away your credibility. Um, you know, uh, I can't, or, you know, one of my favorites is like, oh, oh, they never, they never do anything with you or they're, you know, they're just buying you everything. Like there's just no winning. It doesn't matter what you do. If you get the, if you buy them things, you're just trying to manipulate the children. If you don't get them anything because you're on a budget, you don't ever do anything with them. So it does, they just weaponize any and everything. And so the kids come back to you and they bring all this type of stuff up, bring it to your attention. This is what this is what um, you know. The other parent is saying that you know you, or maybe you start dating. Maybe you actually waited to date, but the minute that you start dating, one gentleman I, I was working with, he waited two years to start dating again. But the narcissist in that situation convinced the children, or tried to convince the children that that new person was the reason for the divorce. That this was the mistress when he didn't even know this person existed at the time. Yep. And um, so these are the type of things that they'll say. These are the type of things that they'll do. Um, and so how we handle those type of situations is we have to remember. So we have to understand that the kids actually don't like this. They don't yeah. like it at all. Right. And the reality of it is, is that even if some of the, because some, sometimes some, some of these things might actually be true. I've worked with people that really did actually have a DWI or, or maybe they really did actually cheat in the relationship and they, they, you know, they're remorseful of these type of things. But, um, but the reality of it is, is that the kids really don't, number one, they don't really care. They still see both good <clears throat> and bad in the, in the relationship and the parents. Um, and so they might come to you. And so, the way that we would handle that is, you know, well, your your other parent, they're allowed to think whatever it is that they want, right? What we're going to do is we're, we're structuring what good mental boundaries look like. Um, your, your, your other parent, they're allowed to think what they want. They're allowed to feel whatever they want. They're allowed to have these rules at their house. That's, that's their house, right? Um, that's not how I feel about things. That's not my truth. What's, what's your truth? And allow for them to, this is what's scary for parents is to just allow for your child to vent and allow for them to talk and allow for yeah. them to have their own opinion about things. Let's say that the, let's say that the narcissist says that you're an alcoholic the, and that your children come back. And so you say, well, what's your truth? They're allowed to think what they want. I'm, you know, that's not my truth, but what's your truth? And let's say that they actually believe it. The next words that come out of their mouth are no longer the manipulation. It's actually the reason why the manipulation worked. Well, the reason why I believe what, what the other parent is saying is that one time I walked into your room and I saw um, three beer cans on your nightstand, right? Well, that actually happened. And so that's what's, that's what's actually bothering the child. And mm-hmm. so allow for them to talk about it. You, you can kind of talk to them about what's going on and, and what actually happens is that you're able to turn what was meant for manipulation and turn it around and actually have a deeper, more rich relationship with the child. 
Wow. Wow. That's great advice. I got to tell you, in the with the clients that I've had in these sorts of situations, it gets so frustrating because remember, they're also going to take, as you said earlier, they're going to take things that they did and they're going to lie and say it's something yep. that you did and tell the kids about that. And then these parents end up in these situations, clients that I've had, like hopeless. Are my kids ever really going to, is there any hope that my kids are really going to see through this BS at some point? Yeah, they do. They, they, so what happens is that if we continue down this road of validating their feelings, what happens is that uh, oftentimes the mistake that parents do is that they actually want to try to convince the child that, that their other parent is a narcissist and the snap, but the children are going to see it themselves. The, the way that they see it is they start to experience it themselves. One of the best things that you can do is actually divorce a narcissist, even if you're 50-50, and allow for your children to express themselves, allow for your child to express uh, their, their individuality, those sorts of things. Because we have to remember, why is the narcissist behaving? What, do, what does narcissists do? They, they try to control people. Well, right. they're trying to control your children through all these tactics that we're talking about too. The problem right. is, is that your children are not going to be children forever. Your children, let's say that your children is eight, you know, eventually they're going to be 15, 16. They're going to start dating. They're going to want to start to go to dances and parties and drive. Well, the narcissist is going to try to control all those things the same way that they try to control you. It's not going to work anymore. Or let me, let me rephrase, even if it works, what happens is, is that even the child's peers are actually going to start calling out the behavior. Your parent is weird. Which parent are you? Which parent are you staying, staying with this week? If you're with that parent, I'm not coming over. Or even if they do go over there, like you know, your you know your parent is never home. They just let us party all the time. That's just kind of weird. Like right. kids know, like when they you know when they're when things are off, and they'll confirm yeah. that with your child. And so your child gets 18, 19. Uh, then they start dating in college and the, their significant other starts saying like, you know, what's going on with your parent? Like that, you know, every yeah. time we go over there, they do this and they're, they're talking about you and talking about your other, your other parent, your, your other parent is great. Like they're, they've been divorced for 10 years. What's going on. Right. And so uh, ultimately what happens is that that child starts to realize that, that parent, that narcissistic parent is holding them back from having the type of relationships that they want, from having the type of life that they want, that's dictating and controlling everything. And they're not going to naturally gravitate towards the parent that accepts them for who they actually are. Right. So when having experience being through this process yourself, give us a feel for like, like, look, what, what is the child thinking being in this situation? What are they feeling? Uh, you know, confusion. Uh, and in yeah. uh, feeling like they're inauthentic, feeling like they are, um, feeling like they are, what's the word for it? Um, inauthentic, but um, like they don't really quite fit. Um, like they have to please everybody. Like they have to, because um, a lot of the, that's where a lot of people pleasing behavior comes from is trying to appease the narcissist and things like that. And so when they get around people that allow for them to be who they actually are, and when they start to, to, uh, to accept that themselves of, of who their more authentic person or self is, um, what happens is that that starts to feel good. And they start to start to thrive in being themselves. And what happens over, over the course of time is that they're just not going to allow for that parent to dictate or control the things that they do. And they might decide to cut them off completely. You see that over social media where um, 
people have made made the difficult decision, not saying it's easy, but some people have either created distance, maybe they they stay in contact, but where we have distance, um, or they just cut off their parent completely, depending on how how controlling that parent actually is. And it's funny because with clients, I'm always telling them, look, you know, they're like, well, you know, the other parent does this for them and does that for them and tries to like, you know, like convince them of their position and do this and do that. And my, my bottom line is like, always do what you know is right. Yeah. Be the good parent because what happens with kids over time in my experience is they see through all the BS ultimately. And and ultimately they do. That's 100% true. And what happens is that when the parent is giving them everything, what happens is that oftentimes that might be the golden child or uh, either the more parentified child. And everyone thinks that that works. But the problem is that that child is actually still sacrificed. And they know that if they don't perform for the narcissist, that there's, that it's going to be problematic. If I don't become the doctor that they want or the lawyer that they want or whatever the case is, and this person is paying for everything, um, that it's going to be, there's going to be problems for me. Well, eventually they get tired of that. It's, it's exhausting to live that type of life. And not only that, but for your peers and for other people to bring things to your attention and to see people thriving in the life that you actually want to live. And so it becomes very problematic. And so, um, so I encourage parents to be patient through that process um, and allow for your kids to see it on their own. So if you see your kid in that situation, and, and you know what, if you're in tune with your children, I've always said most parents, if you're in tune with what their baseline is, what, what they generally, what their general, you know, emotion is, you know, what they're interested in. If you're engaged in that, you can see changes. Let's yeah. say you have this situation, you're seeing changes in your kid. What, what should you do as a parent? You want to protect your kid. What do you do? You want to validate their feelings. You want to allow for them to come to you. You want to stay close you want to stay stay involved, but you ultimately want to allow for them to come to you. I mean, obviously, you can get get them involved in uh, in counseling. Sometimes that can become problematic because of the narcissist getting into the, the therapist's ear and right. that sort of thing. And depending on how you have have custody written up in terms of uh, how much access they have, I think it's it, mm-hmm. most of the time that's better than than um, better than anything. But stay close to them, allow for them to vent, allow for them to be themselves even if the things that they vent about are disagreeing with some things that you say, uh, allowing for them to just be themselves is going to ultimately, um, they're going to start to see that I can feel, I've can, I can feel like myself here when I'm at this house and I can't, yeah. I, I feel like I have to be a different person there. And sometimes they'll actually, actually literally describe that. There's a, a person who I worked with. Uh, it happened. It happens. It always happens out of the blue phone. Someone who I was yeah. working with, and so they were just sitting there with their with their daughter. They were just watching a movie, and the person just looked over and said, "Dad, I think my mom is manipulative." Just out of the blue, and that's yeah. you know, it's almost like it just boils over to a point where yeah. they just can't tolerate it anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. So you wrote a book with an awesome title, I might add. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. I think they're a fucking narcissist. Now, yep. by the way, I curse a lot, so I'm perfectly fine with that. So, so tell me what's that about? What that's about? I love the title. The book sounds awesome. Well, um, I, uh, you know, when I was coming up with the title of the book, I was trying to think of something that everyone can relate to, and that's kind of everyone's feel for whenever they discover that they're with a narcissist. Whenever they start to put all the pieces together, like, oh shit, I think they're a fucking narcissist. Is yeah. is kind of everyone's, and so. Um, that one of the, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that oftentimes we don't realize we, we we oftentimes see it 
with our romantic relationships, but we don't see it at work. We don't see it at, uh, and, and with our siblings at times. And so I wanted to write a book that, that started to talk about different signs and different symptoms in other areas, not just a romantic and not just a romantic setting, because okay. oftentimes when people struggle in one area with narcissists, they start to, to realize that they have issues in other areas because ultimately you yourself need healing too. And because of your lack of boundaries, you're naturally sucking a lot of these people in. Yeah. And it's important for us to begin to start to see it in other areas because it leads to a lot of frustration long-term. Yeah. And it's funny because I think like we don't realize as we're walking around out there that there are certain things about us, yeah. you know, our, our personality, our, our emotions, our, our baggage, what have you, that yeah. attracts different sorts of personalities that may not always be the most healthy, healthy situation. Yeah. So in some ways it's not as, it's as much focusing on what the other people are doing as it is focusing on ourselves and seeing how we can, you know, Right. Try to repel rather than attract, say, a narcissist. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I know we do a lot of focusing on like, look, how do you protect the kids? How do you figure out this behavior? How do you how do you deal with it? But like, I think sometimes it's overlooked that this is emotionally and mentally damaging and abusive yes. and challenging if you're subjected to it. So yeah. if you're being subjected to it, to this how does one care for themselves? I mean, you know, you don't want to, you know, endure all of this and then end up coming out, you know, emotionally harmed moving forward. So how do you try to prevent that and protect yourself? What, what do you think people well, it's do? Well, it's, it's far more than just emotional. One of the things, one of the reasons why I do what I do uh, and why you don't hear me saying things like, well, let's see if we can work it out with the narcissist is that it, it literally, literally can put you into an early grave. So what happens is that, when you're experiencing this for a long period of time, um, our bodies are are only meant to have adrenaline and cortisol pumped through our body for a few short minutes whenever whenever we're in bad situations. When we're in relationships like this, we experience cortisol and adrenaline for days, weeks, even months. Wow. So what happens is that it has a dramatic impact. You can see a lot of weight gain, weight loss, a lot of stressors to your heart. Um, it, fibromyalgia is um, one of the major, one of the most common um, side effects of being in these type of relationships. It can cause cancers, autoimmune issues. If you already have issues, it can, it can exasperate them even, even further, hair loss. Uh, and so if you're coming out of these type of situations, it's important to make sure that you link up with, link up with doctors. And th this is even if you're not, even if it's not a physically abusive relationship, you can experience all these type of things. Right. Um, so linking up with doctors, linking up with um, developing a support system, getting, getting involved with um, other, other um, you know, whether it be trainers or group um, group situations where you can not only talk and vent, but also uh, physically kind of um, get things, get things back in order. Um, mindfulness, going for walks, um, listening to calming music, uh, anything that's going to help calm the nervous system, getting out in nature, going for hikes, going camping, those sorts of things are going to be, uh, and then also educating yourself. So then you start to realize that you're not alone in this, that one of the things I tell people, because oftentimes whenever they're in it, you know, um, they think that they're the only one because the problem with this is that often, most of the things that you deal with are behind closed doors. And one of the things I tell people is that you're not the only one person going through this. You're not the first person. You're not the last. And when you start to learn from other people, uh, learn from other people's mistakes, you can begin to 
Um, I want to say heal quicker because I don't want to, I never like putting a time frame on it, but it can be more efficient. Okay. Okay. What's the most important piece of advice you can give somebody if they're dealing with a narcissist right now? And it's tough to bring it into one, but let's see if you can give me one. Uh, if you're dealing with a narcissist right now, we need to establish what type of boundaries that we're going to set. Understanding that this person is going to be upset. If you're like, if you're actually in the relationship, we need to start putting together an exit strategy. That strategy might take take longer than what you would like for it to see. Um, but if it's something that's physically abusive, life threatening, then we have to have two different plans. A plan that's that might you know that you might incorporate your friends and family that you. Uh, might need to crash on someone's couch or in their attic or in their basement for a little while until you get yeah. back on your feet. Um, but you might also have to leave with the clothes on your back and crash on crash on their couch until you get back because it depends on the level of control that they they might have where some may be extremely controlling and very abusive and life-threatening. Um, but um, ultimately there needs to be a plan in place. Um, you can do that with a professional. You can do that. You can kind of piece one together online. Yeah. But ultimately you know the level of control this person has, whether they have control over all your finances, if they're going to wipe the bank account clean, that sort of thing. Uh, so we, we, it's important for us to plan and put a plan in place. I tell people all the time, you're not going to leave the relationship unscathed. You know, it's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable, uncomfortable for a bit. But the reality of it is, is that at some point in time, we need to make, make those steps. Um, so in, if you're not ready to make those steps, I tell people to educate yourself because everyone goes through their own, um, their own um, stages of change. And you may not be ready to take an actionable step, but there, there's no harm in getting, getting a consultation from an attorney to, to talk about what that would look like to hop in, you know, to hop in or to get a course of, of like someone um, like one of my courses or someone else's, someone else does things like, like what I do and really just kind of educate yourself on what that process is like. So you can kind of understand and put a, put a plan in place. Yeah, it's funny because that's a lot of the advice I'm giving clients. So, so again, with the TikTok, with the Instagram, with the with the videos that I put out online, I say, look, you know, use the resources that are out there. Yeah, stuff like yours, stuff like mine. Yep. the The vast majority of that is free. Yeah, get educated, create a plan. Yeah, and you'd be surprised. Uh, I I'm convinced that that a sense of calm comes over you with the. Uh, when you gather that information, you understand the process. Yeah. Just knowing what it is, taking mm -hmm. away the taboo, the unknown, take cut all that out. Now you know what's in front of you. Absolutely. And you know the mountain you need to climb. Absolutely. So, Matthew, thank you so, so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Wow, this I is love fun. your TikToks. You're so great to talk to. What I need to know from you now is if my listeners want to do coaching with you, take your courses, read your book. Watch some of your videos, which are awesome. I can speak mainly to the TikTok videos. Definitely tune in. Your, your videos are great. Keep them coming. Where do they find you? I'm all over social media. So uh, <laughs> I would say that one of the best places to find me uh, is on YouTube, um, the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. And that's also the name of my podcast. If you listen to the podcast, um, TikTok, my website is mattpfeiffercoaching.com. 
Um, and any of those, you can connect with me. And um, a lot of people think it's just me, but I have a whole team. I have someone that specializes specifically in uh, co-parenting for people who are stuck Ooh. in a trauma bond. We have people that are uh, specific to a trauma bond. We have groups. We have one-on-one coaching, not just with me, but with others. Um, yeah. And so we have a little bit of everything. We're a one-stop shop. Uh, we've linked people with with lawyers in their area. Um, and so we do a little bit of everything. So, um, and the consultations are, are, uh, are free. So you can, you can set up a free strategy call for 20 minutes and, you know, we'll, we'll hit you and we'll get you into the right direction. Sometimes there's times where, um, I'm not the best fit. Uh, sometimes it might need to be, uh, cause I, even though I do have a therapy background, uh, what I do now is coaching mostly divorce co-parenting things, people trying to get their life back in order. Um, but if you need more of like a, an actual therapist towards healing and that sort of thing, we can get you in that direction too. That's great. Yeah. But you know what it sounds like, Matt, you do the same thing that I do in that there's a vision, there's a yeah. approach, there's a reason why you did it to, to help more people. You need to develop a team. Absolutely. That's what you need to do. Absolutely. So we have a team here too. It's the same thing. I totally get it. We have the same vision, all of us, the same care, concern, approach, motivation. You know, so I love the idea of the team. And thank you again so much for being on the show. Definitely check out podcasts, TikTok. You can find Matt Pfeiffer coaching all over online, including YouTube. Um, definitely check it out. A guy who really cares and really wants to help people. Very similar view of the world with me. So Thanks again to everybody who tuned in. We'll see you again next time. Take care. Bye-bye.